beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. So friends, a little bit of a not so happy accident has resulted in today's episode. I recorded a couple of weeks ago a really vulnerable conversation with a dear, dear friend. And when I went to go in and edit it, the file was corrupt. And I basically lost that whole conversation. This has never happened to me in several years of podcasting. The only time anything has come close is one time when I was recording with someone, my computer crashed, but it happened right there in front of us. So we were able to just start over. I've never come back in and lost a whole episode. So I was really sad about it. We are going to re-record. There are things about our talk that I really want you guys to hear. And so that episode will come out eventually. But in the meantime, I decided that instead of doing another prompt like I've been doing for the past couple of weeks to replace today's episode that I was just going to ask you guys if you had any questions. So on social media, on the show's Instagram account, at 10 Things to Tell You, I just sort of threw it up there and said, hey, if you have any questions, I'll just do a quick little episode 
answering, you know, anything you want to know. Well, I got a lot more response than I was expecting, but a lot of them came along in the same sort of themes. So I've broken them down into sections, sort of. I have a personal section. I'm going to answer a couple of business questions that came in. And then my sweet mom, who happens to be visiting me at the lake right now, a few people ask my mom some questions. So I recorded a little bit with her that will be at the end. That actually ended up being sort of a more serious conversation than I was anticipating when I pressed record on that. So I hope that this is an okay format for you guys. Maybe you'll get some of your own burning questions asked. If you're new to me and you're like, why would I ask you any questions? I don't know anything about you. I hope still that you take something from this little replacement episode that I'm doing. It did teach me a few things, not only about saving and backing up my work, but also just to maybe take these kind of breaks sometimes and change up the format, see what you guys are really wanting to know. I got some really great ideas for future episodes. So if I don't answer your question on this episode today, it's possible that I made a note of it for a future full-length episode down the road because some of the things that you guys asked or some of the things that you wanted to talk about were really good, really thought-provoking, and they sort of deserve their own space. So with that, I'm going to jump right in on some of the more personal questions. So quite a few people messaged me about books and reading, which makes sense. That's something I talk about a lot. And I just wanted to remind everyone that I give on the very first episode of this show, episode one, called When Do You Read? I lay out all my reading habits. I talk about my biggest tips and tricks to reading more every day and also talk about where to find stuff to read. Lots of books and reading topics in that episode. I also want to tell you that I am going to do an end of summer reading episode all about the best stuff that I have read this summer, and I've been reading a lot. It'll be similar to episode 11, which was about the best things I had read in the first quarter of the year. So I'm going to do those pretty periodically. I also have on the blog right now, 10thingstotellyou.com slash blog. I have my summer reading stack, a blog post going of all the things that I am reading this summer. And in the sidebar of the blog, you can also click to my favorite books of all time, Anything that you want to know about reading, a lot of that exists out there. But one of the ones that came in, I will answer quickly. Lauren asked, who is your favorite author? Well, I have been very vocal about my deep and abiding love for Stephen King. I think of all time, Stephen King is my favorite author. It doesn't mean I've loved everything that he's ever written. He has written a lot, but I genuinely think he is probably the world's greatest storyteller alive right now. And probably in all of history, he's one of the world's greatest storytellers. He's an excellent read. If you have never read Stephen King because you are afraid of the kind of horror things that he writes, he writes things besides horror. So I love Stephen King. I also love Barbara Kingsolver. I've loved in the past few years, I've really loved the books by Elizabeth Strout. 
I think Jesmyn Ward is one of the best American writers alive. I will read anything Brene Brown puts out. That's nonfiction. Obviously, she's more known for being sort of like a teacher and a thought leader, but she is an author of several amazing books. I've really enjoyed Blake Crouch the last couple of years, and I've read every single one of Tana French's books. I read everything she puts out. So those are some of my favorites. A lot of the questions I got did sort of have some of the same themes, but I do think that the most common request was wanting a follow-up to episode number 14, the skincare and makeup episode with Jamie Golden. And I've been meaning to give an update on that anyway. So that episode was several months ago. A lot of you have said that it was eye-opening for you to learn about taking care of your skin. And then when you started putting together some of the things that Jamie recommended, that it really made a difference. So many of you have talked about episode 14. It is to date the most downloaded episode of this show. So it's still getting passed around. I hope it gets passed around for years to come. It's a really good lesson in skincare. So I have to be honest that I bought several things after that episode and did start taking better care of my skin. But like, I'm also lazy about it. I mean, I didn't become a new person overnight, nor did my skin. But Things have really made a difference. I do feel like my skin looks better than it has in years and years, even with my fairly lazy approach to skincare. And by fairly lazy, I just mean I don't do every single step every night. Like I just, I'm never going to do that, I don't think. But several times a week, I've been doing exfoliation. I've been using my retinol. I've been using my vitamin C in the morning, which I bought the drunk elephant vitamin C. I bought the Neutrogena retinol from Target. I have been doing those things multiple times a week. So even a sort of relaxed based skincare regimen, which was a step up from barely any skincare regimen, has made a really big difference in the way that my face looks, the way makeup goes on. Yeah, so that's my update. It's, you know, not earth shattering, but it's just one of those life lessons of, wow, when you really start to pay attention to something and care for it, even just a few degrees more than you were caring for it before, it makes a difference. It makes an absolute difference. And speaking of the fabulous Jamie Golden... From the skincare episode, she's also my dear friend. She is the co-host of the pop culture podcast, The Popcast. Christian asks, do you ever feel the need to defend, address, or correct an opinion of the podcast if you're acquainted with the actor or celebrity in real life? And to that, Jamie says, how dare you? Um, it's actually a funny question. I laughed out loud when I got this one. I love what they do at the podcast. I think that Knox and Jamie are so funny. Yes, I have cringed when their hot takes maybe hit a little bit too close to home because I have a connection to the person or the project that they are critiquing, if you will. But I love what they're doing. They make me laugh. And I just would not have that any other way. Anne asked, do you use Botox? 
Why, yes, Anne, yes, I do. In my forehead, a teeny bit around my eyes, I use Botox. I'm not embarrassed of that. Adeline asks, what's your take on old diaries? Keep or throw away? I didn't. I don't even know that throw away was an option. Why would you ever throw away old diaries? I keep all of that stuff. I guess I can understand in certain life circumstances if maybe you would want to throw them away, but I am not a person who would throw away an important diary. One time in my life, many, many, many years ago, I threw away a diary-like notebook. And I don't want to say I regret it because I should have. It was like healing for me in the moment to openly put this notebook in the trash and sort of say, I'm done with this season of my life and everything that I've written in this notebook, what it represents. But man, 20 years later, like I really wish I could sort of read those words with a different perspective and see you know, how I feel about it. But no, don't throw away your diaries, people. Like there are other ways to minimize your life than that. Carlia asks, what is your favorite experience meeting someone famous? Hands down, Judy Bloom. There is no comparison. I met Judy Bloom at a signing that she did, a reading and then a signing in Los Angeles a few years ago. And I fanned out wholly and completely I don't care if I looked ridiculous. It was super meaningful to me to be able to tell her how much she had influenced my life. I know that Judy Bloom gets this sentiment hundreds, if not thousands of times a week, you know, from probably women my age, probably using the exact same verbiage, probably saying everything exactly the same as I did, but I have no regrets. I loved meeting Judy Bloom. I would. I, yeah, that's a wonderful memory for me. Joy asked, what is your coping mechanism when things are tough? A lot of Dr. Pepper. That is not a joke. I know that when I'm not doing well, one of the ways I can judge that is if I am just guzzling caffeine. It's a terrible habit. There are also worse vices in the world. So not beating myself up about it. I'm just telling you, this is what I do when things are not going well. I also kind of like to disappear into a book or into just myself. I won't be very social. I will be kind of cranky with my family. I guess being cranky isn't a coping mechanism. Definitely the caffeine and disappearing is a coping mechanism. Another one, I talked a little bit about this on the anxiety episode, but Another thing that I do when things are emotionally tough is I go into overproductive mode. I will take on a new project. I will throw a big party. I will, you know, volunteer for a position that I don't really have time for. Like I will do and do and do and do. I say yes to everything. I cram my life every nook and cranny with something when I am sad or stressed or anxious That is almost the most detrimental one. It's really a sign that I'm running away from something. And I often do not realize it until, you know, weeks or sometimes months later. You know, I'll be I'll be halfway through a season before I'll be like, oh gosh, like I've really backed myself into a corner here and I can sort of see the pattern of why I did it. And that is my coping mechanism. Natalie asks, 
With all the business and nonfiction books, how do you process all the information you glean? That's such a good question, Natalie. I don't know the answer, but I I read the question aloud just to give everybody something to think about. I don't remember everything I read. I do, you know, remember impressions or stories or sometimes statistics. Like I, you know, however the brain works, I feel like I can take away overall impressions or perspectives and allow them to change me. And this is both like in terms of habit forming to social justice to whatever it is that I'm learning about. I think that it's impossible to learn everything or remember everything or get it all exactly right. But the process of the learning is often just as important as as every single word that you're taking in. So when you're seeking knowledge, whether to better yourself or to widen your perspective, whatever it is, even the seeking of that, I think something sort of shifts inside of you. And so, you know, you're opening yourself a little bit to to be influenced, to be changed. I don't know if that really answers the question. I don't know if there is a solid answer because I don't know how I do it. I don't do it perfectly. Nobody does. But again, just reading these books, seeking out podcasts or documentaries or whatever it is in a growth mindset, that is the most important thing. Alicia asked, do you set screen time limits for yourself or your kids? I need better screen time limits on myself because even this summer I've found myself uh, on my phone too much, just mindlessly scrolling. And that is a habit that I don't love about myself. For my kids during the school year, we are no screens during the week. I mean, sometimes we'll watch nature shows or something at dinner or whatever on the TV, but no iPads, no video games, no nothing like that during the week. On the weekends, I don't have super strict limits, like in terms of they only have an hour or anything like that. Our weekends are often pretty active with just sports and social activities and whatever. So if in between those active times, they want an hour to zone out to the TV. Uh, that doesn't bother me at all. I think that's completely normal. And I did that when I was a kid. I do that now in just different ways. I just think your brain needs to rest. And sometimes that's what happens. So I don't feel a need to like super monitor it in terms of time. Haley asked, is intuitive eating your approach to food? It should be. It has not been lately. We have had a very celebratory summer with travels and guests and just lots of <laughs> lots of food and drink and friends. I would not trade these fun times and memories with friends. It's been great fun, but I have not been following the intuitive eating practices. I do want to get back to that. I talked a little bit about this in the food episode with Brie McCoy that I want to get back to sort of basics with eating. And if you guys are curious, if you don't know what we're talking about, there's a book called Intuitive Eating that I love. I want everyone to read it, women especially, but anyone who's interested in this approach to food 
it's it's a fantastic resource. Several people asked, and this is one of the ones that I think I might end up doing a whole episode on, but I'm just going to give a brief answer here. Several people ask, how do you manage long-distance friendship? So I have a lot of long-distance friends, hometown friends, college friends, uh, friends I've met online that live all over the country, and I am not a perfect friend, please, by any stretch. I have a lot of things I wish I did better in friendship, for sure, but I will say that I feel pretty connected to my long-distance friends by our phones. We don't talk on the phone that much because time zones or schedules or whatever. We text. We use Voxer. That's an app, like almost like a walkie-talkie app, but I love it. I can use Marco Polo. I don't love that one as much because it's harder to multitask because it's a video messaging back and forth. While I've been at the lake this summer, some of my Los Angeles friends have been sending me voice memos. That's just over text. That's a lot like Voxer, except that they disappear. I like in the Voxer app threads that the threads stay there. You know, social media. Social media is used, even though I use my social media for sort of work purposes, I do post what our family's up to and I, you know, am friends with or follow my real life friends as well. And so, you know, that's the social part of social media. I really do feel like we see each other's vacations or can comment on what the other one's reading, like all of that stuff. This is not an original answer, although I I got so many requests for this. I'm wondering like, what, where is the pain point for this? Are you guys feeling like it's hard to foster long distance friendships? Is that the question? That's what I'm sort of guessing. It can be. Of course, I can see that. But my very simple answer for now, I maybe want to expand this, is I, we're just on our phones a lot communicating. Heather asks, do you get stubble when you shave your face? No. Everybody, I shave my face. I use razors specifically for them. I'll link to them in the show notes if you somehow missed the beauty episode where I talk about shaving my face or I've talked about it online for years. But when you shave your face, it does not leave a stubble. That is a myth. It's not like men's faces. It doesn't come back black. It just doesn't. I don't know how clearer to say it. It is really good for your face. This is why they say men age so well is because they're basically exfoliating their face every single day with a razor if they're the shaving type. Now women are doing it. We've caught on to you guys. Anisha asks, you seem to understand the need for self-care without ridiculous guilt. How? I got a few questions in this same vein, sort of around the idea of self-doubt, which everyone has. But in terms of self-care, I don't have a lot of guilt about it. I think because, I don't know, both of my parents practiced different ways of self-care, but they definitely did. I was never, neither of my parents are sort of like martyrs to the family or their job or, so it was modeled for me. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. 
Born shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, and use code U, Y-O-U. And also I've experienced times when I haven't taken care of myself well and it is absolutely to my detriment, like my mental health detriment, my physical health, grades or job performance or whatever, you know, whatever your measurement is. Like I realized when I wasn't taking care of myself that I, you know, that it was affecting other things. Now, This doesn't mean that I take care of myself perfectly in every way. I mean, clearly, (laughs) like very open about, you know, I don't nourish my body in the way that it should be. I have to really work on movement and exercise and that kind of thing. So the self-care that I do excel at is getting alone time, feeding my brain. I think I'm good at that. Occasional indulgences like massages, those sort of things, I don't need any encouragement on that kind of self-care, but I think we all have ways in which we're better at taking care of ourselves than not. I don't think very many of us are absolutely failing that across the board. It's just what you're viewing as self-care. Do you know what I mean? Okay, here is one from Denise. And I'm going to read hers, but I got several that had some very similar themes that I thought was super interesting. Denise says, 
How do you deal with self-doubt? How do you take the plunge to podcast, blog, put yourself out there? Did you have a voice telling you, this already exists? What makes you think you have anything new to add? Who do you think you are? Your life is meant to be small. That stuff is for other people. If you had any traces of that voice, how did you handle it? Um, And I just think this is such an interesting question. I got another one that was asking specifically about writing and everyone has self-doubt, like everyone. I mean, the few that might not, I'm not friends with them. (laughs) I don't know know anything about that. Everyone I know, even if they are crazy successful um, or they've never had the courage to do anything in their life, like a lot of people suffer from crippling self-doubt. So the difference is if you do it anyway. And I don't always succeed at this. I've held my own self back a lot over the years from putting my full self forward, doing my best work, opening myself up. I haven't always done that. I've like maybe just put a toe in the water when I should have taken the full plunge or, you know, you get the metaphor. Like, But I will give myself credit that at least I put the toe in the water, right? Like you still have to do things regardless of what that inner voice, and I don't mean your intuition inner voice, I mean your yappy, constantly criticizing inner voice of who do you think you are, like she said, or you're not ready for this, or any of those things that sort of are constantly buzzing in your ear, or constantly buzzing in my ear anyway. And you just have to do it anyway. Self-doubt is normal. Trying to talk yourself out of something because it feels too big for you is normal. And I would argue that that usually means you're headed in the right direction as long as you keep going. If you're really scared to do something because it feels too big or too important, that could be a sign that that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And it is big and it is important. It isn't amazing that you're taking these baby steps toward it. Now, in terms of how did... I take the plunge to put myself out there on a blog or podcast or social media. I think I started putting myself out there because I wasn't finding fulfillment in other ways. So by that, I mean, I started a blog because I really wanted to be writing a lot and I was working in television production and it was just an outlet like I wasn't getting any kind of creative fulfillment in the job that I was doing and blogs were just starting to pop up and they were you know free and easy and it fulfilled this other thing during my lonely years I had already started a blog during this time and you know I was getting feedback from people who read my stuff and was making online friends and whatever. And I was really lonely for friendship. Like I didn't have any local girlfriends. I missed my long distance friends a lot. And so sharing online things that I would have shared with girlfriends, not deep, dark, crazy things. I never, you know, I've always been very aware of kind of what I'm putting out there, but just like sharing my heart, sharing my thoughts on things and sharing of myself that I've always I've always been that way in person I guess I should have started with that I've always been a sharer if you know me in real life I am a sharer like I want to talk about our stuff like I want to talk about 
our childhoods and our loves and our pain and our like I'm a big talker in real life with friends, with my husband, with my family. Like I want to talk and share. During the lonely years, when I didn't have that person in front of me, I started doing it on the internet. And it gave me a similar sense of fulfillment to be able to be creative and to be able to share. I think a lot of us want to share. And when there was a lack of a body, I started doing it online and I liked it. And it filled something in me, a a little bit of a soul piece. And I am hopeful that it was either entertaining or helpful for others to read it. And so, you know, it, it just felt good to me to be able to do it. And I didn't always get it exactly right. I still don't. But the benefits outweigh the doubt, always. But you can't learn that until you've done it. So you have to put yourself out there a couple of times to realize, okay, this doesn't always go exactly how I want it to be, but it is better than not doing it at all. Okay, last personal question. Colleen asks, it seems like you really started to figure yourself out lately. How? Are there books or materials or practices that have helped you? Colleen, what a nice thing to say. Thank you for noticing. I also feel like I've started to figure myself out lately. I just turned 40, so better late than never. I would say that primarily my, not self-discovery, because I was taking baby steps to self-discovery prior to this, but in 2016 is when I really started actively trying to get myself back on my soul path. I didn't realize I had strayed from the path I was supposed to be on. I just didn't feel right in my body, in my spirit. That was a terrible year for our country, the 2016 election. A lot of people were having some similar, you know, we just, it didn't feel right. I will say that I think I, even though I had taken some baby steps to personal discovery before this, the thing that really cracked it open in 2016, I had just started working with my body. I started in Pilates, but I think this can, wherever this happens for you, yoga, CrossFit, walking around the block, it doesn't matter. I had started trying to connect to my body that I had gotten really disconnected from after my son was born. So I genuinely believe when I look back now that the quest to connect to my body cracked everything else wide open. It was like everything in my heart and spirit and brain even that I'd been holding on to tight, that I had been like clenching tight. I was just, if one thing fell over, it would have been like dominoes. But when I started to work with my body, I didn't know this was going to happen. This was a complete byproduct. But when I started to work with my body, it absolutely opened my spirit I mean, it was like opening my posture, which is what I was doing with the Pilates, moving my body, loosening my body, opening my body had an effect on everything else. 
suddenly everything that had been clenched tight, my belief systems, my spirit who had just been hanging on for dear life during the newborn years with babies, like all of that started, it all works together, you guys. You cannot separate it. If you are uncomfortable in your body, you are uncomfortable in your spirit. So working with my body, opening myself up to the experience of doing any kind of exercise or anything which I hadn't previously done. It also felt like other things, like it wasn't just within me. It was also outside of me. Things started opening. Friends arrived where I had been lonely. Um, Opportunities came where I had felt really stifled. It was just like things just started opening. Now, it wasn't immediate and it also didn't, bear fruit right that second. When we're talking about 2016, it's been three years since that process started in full. And I think I went away with a friend at the beginning of this year. So two and a half years after, I feel like I started to open my body, which then opened my spirit, which then I started seeking out things with my brain, books to read, podcasts to listen to, like all of these things working in conjunction, not purposefully. I, I wasn't immediately making all these connections is what I'm trying to tell you. At the beginning of this year, 2019, I went away with a friend for the first few days of the year. And and I just wanted to start sort of 2019 fresh. And I cannot tell you what happened specifically. I mean, I have some ideas, but on this trip, it just felt like a faucet was turned on. A faucet that had previously been clogged with hair and gunk and just old rusty pipes. Suddenly, all that was cleared out and someone just turned on a faucet and it just felt like a free-flowing energy that just, I felt like I was being swept along, but in the best way. Not in a, oh my gosh, I'm not in control of any of this. Things are happening to me. Not in that kind of way. Like the opposite of like, oh, I've been trying to control everything. I've been trying to like control all this water. And now all of a sudden we are just free flowing. It was just a huge release. And my word for the year was release, which I didn't know I was going to say that sentence until it just came out my mouth. And that's what it happened. It was like just a release of... Water, this is metaphorical water, by the way. It just, everything in my life started flowing in a different way. I started this show. I started writing again. I feel like my relationships got a lot easier. Everything wasn't either trying to be controlled or everything wasn't a push and pull. Like I just started flowing. And I think there are a few reasons for that, but I don't think that ever would have happened if I hadn't have put in the work of the previous two and a half years of really, you know, I I tried a lot of things, Um, prayer and meditation and books and podcasts and Pilates and, you know, I, I tried a lot of things. Like I was seeking, I was openly seeking what worked, what didn't, what was resonating with me, like how can I be my best self in this one time on earth? And it didn't all work. It didn't all resonate, but some things did. And I just took them along with me. 
Some of it was really hard. Some of it was really painful. I had to let go of some belief systems that I had really, really clung to in my life. I had to let go of some relationships and some relationships were let go of for me. I actually had people in my life who actively stepped out of it. So so it wasn't a walk in the park by any means. But I think just the constantly genuinely seeking, like I want to feel better. I want to walk in this life in a better, more whole way. That was the part, that was me cleaning out the pipes and I didn't even know it. I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just one foot in front of the other, do the next right thing, read the next book that seems to be calling to me, press play on the podcast that someone I trust recommended. It was just, you know, the next right, the next right, the next right in trying to free myself. And then something just broke open. Now, that's not to say that things won't get clogged again, or life doesn't happen the way you want it to. And so... I don't, I'm not taking for granted this season. I don't live under any illusion that it is forever, but it is right now. So thank you, Colleen, for asking me that. Okay, there were some business questions that I was super surprised to get. Kathleen, my friend, and Kathleen ask, do you type out your content before you record? Is it hard to record solo? Okay, this is the very first episode of 10 Things to Tell You that I did not script in advance. I feel positive that you can tell, but that's okay. My solo episodes, I do script them out in advance. I write full sentences, not just bullet points. I am not totally 100% reading it because I can kind of take my own tangents, but I really know pretty much exactly what I'm going to say on the solo episodes. And it does not bother me one lick to record solo when I have that script. It just doesn't. I don't know if that's because I'm used to talking to dead air on the app Foxer or on Instagram stories or whatever. I don't know. That doesn't bother me. I have podcast friends who cannot do a solo episode. They just are uncomfortable without visual cues or verbal feedback from another person. I totally get that except that doesn't bother me at all. So I scripted out. Solo shows are very natural to me. I'm sorry, I cut off her name, but someone asked, what is your favorite episode that you've done of Smartest Person in the Room or 10 Things to Tell You? I love that question. That's a very fun question. I have a lot of favorite episodes of Smartest Person in the Room, and I loved making that show. So off the complete top of my head, and this is without looking because I really love some of the conversations that I was able to have on Smartest Person in the Room. But one that stands out to me a lot is in the Religion series. It's actually the first episode of the Religion series. It's episode number 10 of the whole show, if you're going to look it up. And it is a conversation with my friend Nish Wysef and her friend Emily Freeman. And we're talking about Mormons versus evangelicals. I use the word versus sort of lightly, but it's sort of like what they believe differently. Do they each believe the other one's going to hell? And we just talked about a lot of foundational beliefs between Mormons. 
members of the LDS members, and evangelicals. I just thought it was a great conversation. I learned a lot. It was also, you know, full of love and not judgment. There was a lot of connections kind of, you know, I feel like it was a bridge kind of episode. Nish and Emily were already working together in this space, but, you know, sharing it with me and then sharing it with our audience, like I just, I really, really took to that episode and it got very widely shared. So that's episode 10 of Smartest Person in the Room. My favorite episode of 10 Things to Tell You so far, we're only six months in, I really loved episode 22, When You Walk Into a Room. I can't even articulate why I love that episode. I just, it was food for thought for me for weeks before and after. I mean, I'm still thinking about that one. It isn't one of the ones that's been the most downloaded. It's not even one of the ones that people have responded the most to and liked or answered the prompt online or anything. I just personally really like that episode. (laughs) So that's that answer. And then... Christine asks, will Smartest Person in the Room have another season? I can't say this definitively, but I hope so. Meg Teets, who makes that show with me, she and I both have uh, a lot of vision for different topics we want to do on Smartest Person in the Room. That show takes a lot more thought and planning. She has a newborn. I have this show now. But I do like deep dives on a topic, and I think that that show both me making it and how it has transformed me as human and also hopefully for the listeners is occupies a really specific space online. And so I do want to do a new season. So then someone asked and I, I'm sorry, I cut her name off when I took a screenshot of this, but she says, how did you start writing? I feel like I'm supposed to write, but keep asking myself, would anyone be interested in what I have to say? Do I really have anything important to say? And then she asked, did you struggle with self-doubt? How do you start? And what does your writing day look like? Well, those are kind of two separate questions. So the self-doubt part, I talked already a little bit about. But then is anyone interested in what I have to say? I think you have to quiet that voice way, way down because you're not writing for someone else. I mean, maybe eventually if you're a published author or something, you have to really have your audience forefront in your mind for whatever reason. But if you are in the beginning You need to just write for you. You need to write what you would want to read or what you need to get out of yourself. Or if it's not writing, then sharing, you know, whatever. My whole point of this whole entire show, the whole concept of 10 Things to Tell You is for people to share their stuff. I am very passionate about people sharing their experiences and their feelings, whether that's in writing or face-to-face with a friend or their spouse or in their journal only. Sometimes you can just start with your own self and being honest there. But just sharing, getting it out of you, connecting with others, like I really, really feel like this is important for women to know, even though the whole world has made it easy for them to share, like social media is a abundant for all of us, but we still struggle. We still are embarrassed to post a selfie. It's, you know, we're told that it's narcissistic or we judge, we're afraid others are going to judge us. Like in all the ways that there are to share these days, we still struggle with it. So I think you can't think about everyone else if you're starting to share. 
I know that's easy to say. I know that that's complicated to say because there might be things you want to share that would affect someone else. But just the most basic thing is to start somewhere. Start where you are. It's one of my longtime mantras. And that's all I can say. Start where you are. If where you are is just you and your journal, that's fine. If where you are is your Facebook page, that's fine. Okay, a question that I was surprised to get, but not really because I know people are curious about this, but Eileen asks, I love your podcast and your Instagram feeds, and I can see how this is a strong creative outlet for you that fills a need in this world. I'm curious if there is a way to make any money following these paths. In other words, does your creative work contribute financially to your family now? Or is the goal to build something to monetize later, say a book or something else? I'm so curious about the business side of creative pursuits, doing the thing that feeds your soul, and yet how to make money doing it. Or maybe that isn't a factor. Like I said, I'm curious about this aspect. Thank you. Okay, this is such a good question. And I think people are sometimes scared to ask these kind of questions. Like, are you making any money doing this? So this is a multi-layered question. I am currently making very little money doing this. I make a little bit. I have in the past uh, made more on both being a podcaster and on my blog. There are ways that I'm sure you've seen people do this. Advertisements, sponsored posts, affiliate links, uh, collaborations. Like there is a way to do this. You have to have a sizable audience. Uh, When I started 10 Things to Tell You, I knew I needed to grow it into an audience size that would then support advertising. That has happened. I have reached a level that I think would support advertisers. But I just have been traveling so much. It's just not something I've been able to focus on. I do want to bring that element into it. I think that creatives should be paid for their work. I want you guys to click on affiliate links of your favorite bloggers because this is how they support themselves. And um, if I'm able to put ads on this show in the next few months, I just have no use for any pushback on that because... People who are putting creative content out into the world for free, like it, that can't be expected to go on forever. Nobody works for free for forever. So the answer to Eileen's specific question to me is I'm making very little money at what I'm doing at this moment. I do think it's building towards something that I hope makes money in the future. And I have made money doing this work uh, in the past for sure. And I have friends who I would consider colleagues who are definitely making money through their podcasts or their book deals or there's any number of ways. I will say it is so much work. The online hustle is an enormous slog. You can enjoy it, but I have very few friends who are able to do it as a side hustle. It is mostly like it is something you have to put a lot of hours per week into. This is why I don't think it should be free. So I feel like I could give lots of words to this because there's so many different ways to make money with online content. There's membership sites, there's Patreon, those are listener supported shows and content. Yeah, I just, I couldn't speak to it only myself because everybody, everyone I know, and I know a lot of people in this space are doing things a little bit differently. And that's actually interesting to watch and fun to watch how people are able to monetize and it can be done. It is so much work. Okay, so I sat down with my mom this afternoon and just turned on the mic. 
I had the few questions that came in for her ready to go. And I thought it was going to be this sort of like lighthearted, ask Laura's mom thing. And it actually got a little bit deeper than that. But I am going to go ahead and air it because I'm just going to. I think that it gives insight to mother-daughter relationships. I think if you followed my own writings or speaking about my lifelong anxiety, it will give a little insight to that. It's funny how things work out, isn't it? This episode was not at all what I planned, but this is what came of it. So here's a little bit with my mom. (laughs) So my mom is here at the lake house visiting us from Oklahoma. Longtime followers, maybe of my former blog or people who've been around on social media for a while know that I post about my mom when she comes to visit us. She usually cooks for us. She's really good at doing crafts with the kids. So I sort of like as a lark, put it up on social media that they could ask you questions for this episode. And I didn't think anybody would respond. And they did. (laughs) A few people had questions for my lovely mother. The first one is from Marnie. She says, does your mom listen to the show? No. No, I don't listen to the show. I listened to some of them early on, but then I forgot how to how to do it. And I used to be techie, and I'm not techie anymore, so I don't listen to um, podcasts. Did you, you listen to 10 Things to Tell You early on, or you mean you listen to Smartest Person in the Room? No, Smartest Person in the Room early on. I think I have those all downloaded on my phone, but I've only listened to maybe the first 10. But I intend to figure it out. I intend to listen to them. You don't need to say that for my benefit, Mom. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I'm saying it because sometimes I see references to them and I'm thinking, heck, I wonder what they're talking about. I believe I'd better go listen to that. What was your first impression of Jeff? Well, I remember the first time I saw Jeff. I had visited Los Angeles for the first time, or for the first time since Laura was there, with my older daughter. And she was, um, her, her job, for which we were eternally thankful, was being a production assistant. And when we walked into the office, I noticed that there were a lot of strange pictures on the wall, and I did understand later that maybe she'd taken some of the strangest ones down. Bodily parts were shown up on the wall. So, and, and young men were zooming around on skateboards right there in the office. I thought that was a curiosity. And then sitting at the table, sort of looking down at his hands, was the boss. I think that he was wearing a T-shirt that said, Oh, crap. And I thought... (laughs) You didn't think, there's my future son-in-law? No, I did not think that, but I thought, well, isn't that a curiosity? How on earth did Laura end up in this kind of an environment when, when her field of study had been classics and Latin and British literature, and here she is with a boss with a shirt on that says, oh, crap. So uh, I I don't remember 
much more about Jeff at that time, except I don't think he said anything. He may not have even looked up and spoken. He actually seemed a little bit shy. Jeff is shy, and he was uh, more shy back then, actually. I think that surprises people, mm-hmm. but that's true. Yeah. That's a, that was all a correct impression. You didn't misread anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one, I'm sort of curious to hear what you're going to say about this, because it's a little bit heavier, but Sweet P. Kate P. asks, I would really love to hear more about how your mom recognized your anxiety as a child and how she went about supporting you as a little one. I don't remember recognizing it as anxiety and I don't remember being particularly supportive in that regard or in any regard. I thought that you took care of yourself. When I was a young person, I took care of myself and I figured you would figure things out, and I allowed you all the privacy you needed and all the time alone that you needed because I needed time alone my own self. I guess I just, uh, I really don't know. I don't remember being supportive insofar as anxiety was concerned. Were you worried about me? No. Really? No. You figured stuff out. You were smart. You were very smart. You were maybe a little more introspective than other children, but I had been too, and it all works out. What about when I pulled my hair out bald? Well, I thought that was a difficult thing. I couldn't figure out why you would do that, but I bit my fingernails down to where they bled, so how different is that? All right. I allowed you your oddities. I mean, what else was there to do? You couldn't do anything about it anyway. Well, I mean, that's not true. I didn't think it was something to get real hysterical over. I mean, people all wanted me to quit biting my fingernails, but I really thought that was my business, not theirs. Okay, how did you feel? Oh, Anne. Anne asked this. How did you feel when I moved away in my 20s? Well, I was very proud of you. I I was incredibly proud of you. You just packed your car and off you went. And I thought, ooh, I wish I could have done that. I'm not sure that I would have been brave enough to do that. And I didn't worry about you. I wasn't panicky about you. Dad may have been a little more worried than I was. I knew you'd figure stuff out. Or you'd call, and if you needed help, you never needed help, so it worked out fine. Were you sad? No. You you were doing what you wanted to do. I wasn't sad when you went off to college. I wasn't sad when you went off to Los Angeles. I figured we'd come out and see you, and you'd come home and visit, and you'd have this wonderful life. And you'd get to do the things you wanted to do, and I knew that you would have a lot of disappointments, but it would be okay because you'd figure it out. People figure stuff out. And is that what has happened? I think so. I think you really figured it out real well. Okay. Maya asks, what are your concerns for your grandchildren growing up in this modern world, and specifically L.A.? Well, my grandchildren seem to be doing great. They have a good school. They have a loving home. 
My concerns are that I don't get to see them so much, but that's a concern for me, not a concern for them. Well, no, actually, someone else asked something related to that. Mama Milk asks, I would like to ask your mom what you do that makes her feel connected to you and the kids when you live long distance from each other. Oh, I don't know. I don't feel unconnected. I like to keep up with what you do. I love I love that we have social media, that I can look at pictures and see things and read your comments and read what people say back to you that's that's very uh, reassuring and I can see when things seem to be going well or when they don't seem to be going well but as far as the children are concerned I want them to uh, want to come to Oklahoma I try to make their visits to Oklahoma so much fun that they want to get up every day and say oh let's go see grandmother this week just like I did my grandchildren that lived in Oklahoma City. I wanted them to get up every day and say the same thing. Oh, it's Saturday. Let's drive down and see grandmother. And that's really not too hard to do. And they seem to do that, and it works out. You know, you don't have to see them every day to be connected with them. I like to do things when I'm in Los Angeles that they enjoy, that I enjoy. I don't do a whole lot of things I don't enjoy just because I want the kids to do it. So I figure out things that they like and that I like, and then I try to make them work and happen, and it seems to work out. Yeah, you're good at that. The kids do like to come visit Oklahoma. Well, uh, it's not an accident. I know. I've watched it go down. Okay, Aaliyah sent in a voice memo. Hi, Aaliyah here, a loyal listener out of Roanoke, Virginia. This question is for Laura's mom. I'm curious, what's one thing that Laura does as a mom that you, also a mom, really admire? It would be really cool if this something was different from how you mothered. I think this question is fascinating across generations. Thanks. Oh, I would need a little more time, I think, to think about that. There's not something that just pops right up, but Laura really loves her children, and I really loved my children, so I have to think what what would be different. Well, she is able to travel with them and introduce them to a lot of exotic life things that I didn't do, and I probably could have done more, and I probably didn't devote enough time to it. I'm sort of sorry for that, but you can't go backwards. You haven't noticed any ways that we parent differently that jump out at you? Not that jump out at me. I mean, in some ways I parent similarly to you, but we just have such different... Our lives were different. Lives. It's really, really not a comparable life. But some things aren't really as different, maybe, as you would think. I got up and went to work every day, most every day. I didn't work a lot. I mean, I did. I worked a lot sometimes of the year, and then sometimes of the year I didn't work so much. But you get up and, and do your do the work that you do, and you go off by yourself and do the work that you do, and you let your children figure out what they're going to do. And they do. You've taught them to uh, respect the time that you need to be by yourself. I taught you all, and probably I left you too much, but I left you to your own devices when you were little. Whether I was at home or not at home, that's really not that different. I guess the difference is you might be upstairs working and I might have been 
away in my car working, but time-wise, it, it, it takes a lot of time in both ways. You do more takeout than I did. That's true. We definitely eat out or you eat you take you out. don't spend as much time in the kitchen, but that's not really parenting. You still sit down and have meals and I probably spent more time cooking because I like to do that and you don't like to do that as much as I did. Still do. I still like to do that sort of thing. That's not parenting. That's you still end up with the same end product whether you have someone knock on the door and bring it or whether you do it yourself. I think you parent, I think everybody parents the way they would want to be parented. I mean, outside of lots of extenuating circumstances, but in the most general sense, you parent the way you want to be parented and you wanted to be left alone emotionally and physically. And so you left us alone emotionally and physically. And I wanted to be asked about my thoughts and feelings all the time. And so I ask my children about their thoughts and feelings all the time. That is that is way different. No, as a child, I liked to be left alone. And I was, although my mother was at home, they, they didn't uh, traipse around after me very much. I, I, I liked to be alone, and I still do. And I would just as well not have someone ask me what I'm thinking or how I feel about something. And so I probably didn't ask those kind of questions like never. Never. You never Never. ask how I felt about anything. And I still don't. (laughs) It's true. And I feel like if you wanted to tell me, you would tell me. And uh, that is very different. But why would I tell someone when I've learned that they don't want to know? I might want to know if it was important enough to tell you, but I don't want to know every day. Well, how do you feel now that I'm a grown-up who shares with strangers on the regular her deepest thoughts and feelings and who also, in private, in our life, I ask you your thoughts and feelings. Like, I'm, I want our family who doesn't share feelings to just talk about their feelings all the time. Now, I just think that's odd. I know you do. I think that's, that's odd, but that's... Uh... That we're different in that way. We're different in probably in several ways, but we're really different in that way. And your poor little children, I bet they get tired of being asked all the time how they feel about something, or maybe they just make something up to tell Mama. I'm sure that when it's time for them to parent, they will parent the way they want wanted to be parented. Well, yeah, you can't do it. You know, you, that's what you do. Okay, I think there's one more. Oh, another one about Jeff. We actually got quite a few questions. People don't ask that me that much about Jeff. They're asking, they're going to ask you about Jeff. Has Jeff's occupational content ever bothered you? Well, not that he does it. It doesn't bother me. I've never been very conservative in social things. And so I think it's all kind of a curiosity. And I think it, I, I really love it that he especially in the earliest times, was so attuned to what 14-year-old boys wanted to see and probably 34-year-old men wanted to see but didn't act like it. So I, was that, I found that to be a great curiosity. 
And I was really glad that he was so successful at it because it seems to make him so happy and it, it makes such a nice life for them. I will tell you the truth, I just as well not watch all of it. I did watch all of the first two movies. The Jackass movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, but I didn't seek out the others because he didn't need my numbers in those how many people went to see it the first night. So, uh, some of it... Wait, so you've never seen Jackass 3? I don't think so. What about Bad Grandpa? No. What about... But I've been meaning to. I really have been meaning to see them. Mom, that movie is eight years old. Bad Grandpa is? (laughs) Yes. Everybody liked it. Thought it was great fun. You haven't seen any of his documentaries? Oh, yes. I did like that one a lot about uh, West Virginia. I mean, it was hard. That's the only one you watched? What are the others? He's made a bunch of documentaries. Angry Sky. Oh, the, I loved those. Oh, I loved about, that one. I loved the Evil Knievel one. Birth oh, of I Big Air. all of those. You yeah. watch all of the docs. Oh, yeah. I liked those a lot. Okay. And I watched that last movie, too. I liked it, too. Matter of fact, I really did like that. And I I liked it especially because I realized about halfway through it that I was enjoying it without just enjoying it because my son-in-law did it. Then I thought, oh, isn't this great? I don't have to just love it because Jeff did it. Well, you wouldn't have to love it because Jeff did it, any of them. Well, of course you do. You have to be supportive of people. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10thingstotellyou. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.